Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 138 of the Brown County Hour. This is Sarah Lytle. And Dave Seastrom along with the rest of the crew. This month, our musical guest is Sage Malaya, and we'll listen to her interview in three of her original songs that she recorded in our studio. We'll share interviews with Tess Keen, Vivian Wolf, and Sally Ann Murphy. We also have essays from Lucy Schultz, Jim Eagleman, and Dave Seastrom. We'll begin our first segment with an interview with Sage Malaya. Tess Keene tells us about the Library Book Bike Program. Vivian Wolf gives us an update about the Peaceful Valley activities. Lucy Schultz offers insight into the discharge process from a hospital. And we'll close with Sage Malaya tune, What If? my privilege to introduce Sage Malaya, who has just treated us to two original songs and a cover, and all of them were absolutely wonderful, Sage. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I could tell the whole crew was wowed. <laughs> I appreciate that. I really yeah. do. So, all right, uh, your friend Lucy Schultz has brought you in here, and uh, she's kind of acting as your manager, sort of? Or So, yes, um, Lucy has been technically acting as my manager, while not very um, completely my manager. Okay. She has been acting as my manager, and she's been helping me come here, do open mic nights. She helped me set this up along with Rick and everyone right. else. I'm not sure who else was involved, honestly, but... Um, yeah, she has been a big part of me and my music and advancing forward in it. Well, there you go. And so you just mentioned the Wednesday night open mic night at the Brown County Inn. Uh, how many times have you done that? I've done it three times. And each time, uh, I feel like was an experience in its own. I did obviously learn a lot more going up and actually performing in front of people live. Uh, it really helps with nerves. It really helps for you to grow as an artist, and I think it's helped me to grow as an artist. 
I haven't been in a while, but definitely getting back into that is my goal this coming year, especially getting out of high school. So that's the other thing. Uh, you are just now graduating from high school. Yes, I am. Gra- I just graduated this May. Wow. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And uh, you mentioned that you live in Greenwood. Is that correct? Yes, I live just around Greenwood area. But you do have some family connections to Brown County. Is that right? Oh, yes. Um, my mom actually lived in Brown County. She graduated from here in 1995, and she was the one who kind of got me coming up here in the first place. Uh, not really to do open mics, because I didn't know I was going to be doing that when I was about five. But we'd come up here and walk around downtown, and it was just very fun, and I've learned to love it up here so much. And the people up here are absolutely amazing. They all have such heart and soul, and just they're so co- caring and loving. It's just a loving community. And that's all I've seen since I've been here. So, Well, I'm glad for that. We, uh, we welcome you and we're glad that you're coming. So what can Thank I say? Thank you. <laughs> uh, so you've been writing songs. I mean, you're 18 years old. Am I correct? Yes, I am 18. Yeah. I mean, that's tremendous. That's a nice early start. And the two songs that you shared tonight were really great. Is this your ambition? This is my ambition. I didn't really know it until... Two years ago, I'd say, when I was trapped in the house for a bit with a guitar, and that's it. But, yeah, music is my love. I love it, and I love to listen to it and watch people perform. It's just amazing. It's something that brings everyone together, no matter where you are. Everyone just loves it. So, How can we find you on the Internet? Um, You can find me on my Instagram handle, which is Sage Malaya. No numbers, no nothing. Just S-A-I-G-E-M-A-L-A-Y-A. Do you have any plans on performing at the uh, Wednesday night open mic anytime soon? So I'm hoping I can perform at Wednesday night open mic, but I just heard about the Thursday night open mics, which I'm really hoping to get and be able to perform there, especially since that kind of works around my work schedule a little bit better than going on Wednesday nights. And where is this Thursday night? This one is at the Ferguson House Beer Garden. Um, It's right down. Right here in town. Yes. Excellent. Well, it gives us something to look forward to. And I know that our listeners are really going to love your music as much as we did. Thank you. Sage, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me here. We'll always dancing in your breeze She smiles with her eyes Hit what lies beneath Taken by your words I took a step back Found myself forgotten Lost in the past I am here tonight to talk to Tess Keen from the Brown County Library about the book bike. And I'm really excited to know, and I think our listeners will be too, to learn a little bit more about this book bike. Tess, this is the first full season of it, yes? That is correct. We did it for about a month and a half last year. Uh, We started around this time, and then we just went through October. So we started in April this year. And our plan is to run through October. So people have two more months to find out more about the book bike or to utilize it. How do they do that? Well, we do post book bike days on our website, on our events calendar. 
And the easiest way is just to know that we do it on Wednesdays. We have a set schedule of stops starting at 11 o'clock, I think, in the morning and running till just before noon. We go to the YMCA and Willow Manor and Hawthorne Hills Apartments and then do various stops in that Salt Creek area as well. Um, afterwards. Okay, um, so when you say you do a stop, that mm-hmm. means people have ordered books, but you also have some that you have just selected they might be interested in. That yes? is correct. We always take a little mini browsing collection with us, just in case. So if you're there and you don't think you're going to have a chance to get to the library, you know, maybe you find something that you like in there and we'll check it out. So we we come equipped with a with an iPad and we can type in your library card and and get you started. If you don't have a card, but you have proof of identity that you're a Brown County resident, we'll give you a card on the spot. And this book bike, I when I went to talk to Tess at the library about it, um, she said, you want to come see it, the bike? And I was like, yes, I've only seen it in action going down the road once when Story was pedaling. But it's a three-wheeler. It's candy apple red. It's really flashy. looks great. has a, I love our library sign and the big red flag on the back end has a little basket on the front and there is a definite learning curve in riding this bicycle because I got to tool around the parking lot with it and the craziest thing is the basket on front doesn't follow the handlebars so when you turn Tess is like don't look at the basket it's deceptive (laughs) (laughs) I've run into some curbs doing that (laughs) <laughs> and it gets up to about 25 miles an hour. I was peeling out in that parking lot. It, yes. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> no, you didn't peel out. But yeah, it does get up to about 25. It is an e-bike. Yes. It, it, you can pedal it, but it is heavy. So the electric assist is very helpful, especially going up the hill. Yeah, and in the wind. Yeah. Do you plug it in at the solar station outside, or is it a wall plug? It uses just a standard wall plug. So it actually has a little um, stable in our storeroom. We bring it inside and put it down in the basement. It's got a little space, and we plug it in. However, we plug it in maybe every two to three rides because the battery lasts quite a long time. That's good. We top it off and just make sure we're not going to get stranded. Right, right. And you can stack about 15 books you said in that basket? Yeah. That's 15, a good number. Maybe 15 to 20, depending on how thick they are. Yeah. So. And how's it gone from your projection as to, you know, let's start this book bike program and to where you are now? I would say we didn't have, it, we started out with no expectations. It was just, we're going to do this. We've given out about four to five library cards, which is pretty good for mm-hmm. signing someone up on the street. And we have had maybe a dozen or so checkouts in the time that we've been doing it this year. It's maybe a little slow, but it's still worth it to do it. Yeah, It's and nice to get out and see people. We always talk to people whether they need a book or not. So. Well, and my, when my son delivered pizzas, is like people are always happy to see you. Yeah. So it's a fun job in that respect. What about safety concerns? How's the traffic in the cars? Or do they give you the right away? Do they see you coming? I think they see us because we we get lots of waves and comments um, at stop signs, especially people say, "Hey, that's a pretty cool bike." Um, so I'm not too worried about visibility. We do a a short route, I guess. Our goal is basically to get 
onto the Salt Creek Trail as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, we pedal because the Salt Creek Trail is not for motorized. You just got to pedal a little harder. (laughs) And that's okay. It's good for us. Yeah. And there are three peddlers. Right now, there are three peddlers. Yes. There's you and Story. Mm -hmm. And our children's librarian, Samantha. Samantha. Okay. That's cool. And how'd you come across this bike? How is it acquired? We actually, um, it was the idea of a former employee who said we should get a bike. And then we actually got it through a grant. It's paid for um, through a grant from the U.S. Institute of Museums and Library Services Mm -hmm. that comes through the Indiana State Library. So they were very generous. and That's very cool. I'm just really excited about having a book bike in town. It's a lot of fun. It's a it's a conversation starter, if nothing else. It gives us a chance to just promote the library and let people know where we are and who we are and hopefully deliver some things. Yeah. Well, you've delivered a really entertaining and informative talk tonight. I want to thank you very much for coming in. Well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. I'm Pam Rader, and I'm here with Vivian Wolf. Well, thank you for having me. We've interviewed you before. You belong to Peaceful Valley Heritage Group. That is a small group, but it is incredible the amount of things you guys have accomplished. Well, thank you, Pam. If we have 10 people at a meeting, that's a crowd. So recently you dedicated another historical marker on September 1st, and that was in the park. Right. Ken Hubbard. Ken Hubbard, the creator of Abe Martin, and all of his characters that lived in Bloom. And we put it, um, what used to be the entrance, which is the north side of the lodge. So that's where it's going to reside. Now, this is, what, the fourth historical plaque, or how many have you? It's the fourth for the Indiana State Markers. So you have one at Bean Blossom. Yes, for the bluegrass music. And uh, Frank Hohenberger. Yes, that was our second one. And your third one was? The uh, Recognizing Brown County as an Art Community. Yes. And that's down on the Village Green. So are these going to be on your tour? Aren't you creating a tour of Brown County with QR codes? We are, a driving Mm. tour. And it was suggested we call it Sunday Afternoon Drives. The purpose of the tour is to try to get people acquainted with what's in the county of interest. And um, so we created a little sign, and we designed it and printed it, and it has a QR code, so it will name where you're standing. For instance, we have one at the Bean Blossom Overlook, and it will have a QR code on it. The QR code takes you to the blog that's been written on our website, and it will say um, who sponsored the sign, or meaning paid for it because they're not free. And then um, it will also tell who authored the little blog or whatever said about it. So at the Overlook, what's interesting is we have posted postcards, a collection of postcards that belong to Dave and Kathy Martin, and it shows the cars of the 50s and 60s, and it shows the three overlooks that were there. 
And um, it's written by Mark Shields, who's the director of Parks and Recreation Mm -hmm. in the county. So is this a tour where you start like at the visitor center and go or you can just see a place and put your phone up there? You can start anywhere. And so we have uh, completed the tour. We're working on it and making a loop so you can start someplace and in back there, but it's coming on and off of 135. So from Bean Blossom, we go down to the Covered Bridge, and we've got a sign there. Mm -hmm. And from there, you go to Farmhouse Cafe, Mm -hmm. which used to be a tannery, and so there's all that history that tells about the Farmhouse Cafe. And how many stops are on the tour? There'll be 10, mm-hmm. and so you'll start there. You go to Sprinica, which the first county fair was behind the little church and cemetery. Tells about that. Then you go to Zion Church and Cemetery, which has mm-hmm. so much history. really should be the history of that road, and mm-hmm. because there was a stagecoach stop there, and that building still stands. It's called Pinehurst. And then from there, you can you go to the Hamblin Cemetery. Job Hamblin was in the Revolutionary War. Right. And his descendant, Job, had a reenactment with the Sons of the Revolution last summer. And he's working on that cemetery, and he's paying for the signs. Huh. And then from there, you go to to Taggart, and there's so much history around Taggart Cemetery, like the First Methodist Congregation. They brought the Methodist denomination Mm -hmm. to the state of Indiana. The idea was if we can create a successful loop, these loops can be Mm -hmm. everywhere. There can be one down in Hamblin Township. There can be one in Helmsburg where there's so Mm -hmm. much history with the railroad there. So that leads right into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, the scenic byway, which you've been part of working on. And then it seemed like it kind of got dropped. They had changes at the CVB. They had a commissioner. And where are we now on that? And Well, the scenic byway is called Hoosier Hill Scenic Byway. It's already approved by the DOT. That, too, took an application. And we're trying to keep it alive. PVH is mm-hmm. trying to get a commissioner or a representative of the commissioners, Mm -hmm. and then somebody from tourism. So the idea and the draw of a scenic byway is uh, businesses can build upon it. In -hmm. other words, if you go to Kentucky and go to the bourbon tours, you'll get a little passport, and you have them signed at different places. But uh, businesses along the way, we know what Nashville's got. But along the way, for our little driving tours, there's a gourd artist, there's antique Mm. stores, there's a restaurant, there's Gatesville, there's other things besides just Nashville. So in generating the interest in the county, the purpose is to bring attention to not only the history, but what's there currently. So the scenic byway is supposed to be a boon for businesses Mm -hmm. along that route. So if anyone wanted to get involved in any of your projects or wanted more information about Mm -hmm. Peaceful Valley, you probably have a website? We do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's called Mm PeacefulValleyHeritage.com, and we're on Facebook. Okay. And again, this is Vivian Wolf, 
And thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is Chris Curtin with the poem called Dirt. Dirt, dirt, it's everywhere. Don't do much, just lays there. You can dig it up and spread it around, pile it up or doze it down. Get enough dirt, you got some ground, nice little place to run around. Run around, find a spouse, settle down, build a house. Make it log or brick or stone. Build your house, make it home. Sitting at home, you and the wife, want to liven up your life? Do the dirty with your mate, have some kids, propagate. Raise them up, strong and good, like you know you ought to should, so they can get out on their own, find some dirt, and make it home. This past Thursday was out of the ordinary, after getting the call that a loved one was feeling the worst he has ever felt. After triaging over the phone, I said his blood pressures are way too high, 220s over 110s, he's having chest pain, go to the hospital now, I'm on my way to help. His other symptoms were severe abdominal pain, vomiting, right-sided neck pain, itching and redness on his chest to the top of his head, and he was having debilitating leg cramps. After around 24 hours on heart and IV antihistamine medications, his blood pressure and troponin labs improved. He was no longer having chest pain. We got the news that my loved one was being discharged from the ER. Now here's where I can offer some advice. When a doctor or nurse walks into your room after a short or a long stay and says you're being discharged from the hospital, in other words, you're being released from the hospital and can go home, what that means to me your registered nurse, is now I need to get the doctor to complete the discharge paperwork. I then dot my I's and cross my T's, checking for mistakes by the doctor on prescriptions, adding in teaching material to the discharge paperwork, and then I send it off to the inpatient pharmacy to do their last checks on medications already prescribed to you and the new ones. In my opinion, this is key to the process and should never be skipped. The inpatient pharmacy looks at your new weight, Many people gain or lose weight in the hospital, and then they match your weight with the proper dose recommended. They also make sure that you can take all of your medications together. So many times, let me say that again, so many times, the inpatient pharmacy catches mistakes here, and then they text page the doctor and fix the mistake, a mistake that could have cost you your life. And Big Pharma makes new drugs every day, so pharmacy has to stay on their toes. Here's the kicker. You have to wait your turn in line of discharge reviews that the inpatient pharmacy already has on their queue. On an average day at the children's hospital that I've worked at for 12 years and counting, the discharge from start to finish can take 30 minutes if you have no medications to sometimes three or more hours. If you need a ride home from a Medicare or Medicaid cab or an ambulance ride home, you could be waiting half your day just for them to arrive. Unfortunately, this is the current state of the healthcare system in the United States, and I can say it has been this way since I started working in a hospital in 2002. I agree, when it's your loved one's discharge paperwork that you're patiently waiting on, it's hard not to put the call light on and ask how much longer it's going to be to get to go home. Then I stop myself and I remember the process, my belief in the concept of triple and quadruple checking meds and making sure that all your meds are compatible with each other. I know that the RN that is taking care of my loved one is doing everything they can to get us home because, unfortunately, they are probably needing the room for someone else or the charge nurse needs you to be released before the nurse or tech can break for lunch. 
So let's all work together, shall we? You can pack your bags up, take a shower, pack your car, and then grab a book or watch some TV. Or better yet, play with your kid that missed you. And I will get you safely back home to your family. Also remember to not leave AMA against medical advice because your insurance company will not pay for any of your hospital stay. Turns out my loved one who had pre-existing peripheral vascular disease and Lyme disease was diagnosed with alpha-gal syndrome from the ER labs, and he was in a major flare after being exposed to multiple triggers. As you remember from Sarah Lytle's interview in episode 134 of the Brown County Hour, alpha-gal is a syndrome from a lone star tick bite. If left untreated, my loved one could have had a heart attack or stroke due to his high blood pressures. Signs of a heart attack are tightness or pain in the chest, neck, jaw, back, shoulder, or arm, as well as fatigue, lightheadedness, abnormal heartbeat, nausea, shortness of breath, and anxiety. Signs of a stroke include trouble walking, problems with balance, speaking, and understanding, trouble seeing in one or both eyes, dizziness, severe headache, as well as paralysis or numbness of the face, arms, or legs, especially in one side of the body. The quicker you act to get to the ER is key. Stroke reversal medications can be administered in most cases. Please go to the hospital or call 911 if you're having any signs of heart attack or stroke because we are all mere mortals. Spread the word. AlphaGal Support Group meets the last Wednesday of each month at the Brown County Library at 6 p.m. I hope you like my first nurse's corner. This is Lucy Schultz signing off. My name is Sage Malaya. I'm from Greenwood, and this is my first song called What If. It's just basically a song that entails my what ifs and my fears. So here we go. I'm scared. Scared of what could be. Scared of what you see in me that I can't see. I wake up and it's been another year The thing that I really fear having to grow up without you I know we could go if we tried, but we won't. And your eyes, they're so pretty to me. Talk about fight or flight, cause all I know how to do is freeze when you look at pieces of you never thought would be there but I know you're still here even when it's not you it's who I wish you would be do you think the same about me 
Pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for WFHB comes from Our Brown County a magazine for locals and visitors featuring art, entertainment, and county characters since 1995. Printed six times a year and available online. More at OurBrownCounty.com. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with Sage Malaya's song, Weeping Willow. Jim Eagleman has an essay about fishing. Sally Ann Murphy shares information about the Guardian Ad Litem program in Brown County. And Dave Seastrom has a few thoughts about his years as a school bus driver. We'll close this episode with Sage Malaya's song, The Gold. All right, well, the second song is called Willow. It is the first song I ever wrote, so it's going to be my favorite, but I really like it, and I hope you do too. It was 
taken by your words I took a step back Found myself forgotten, lost in the past Don't know how much longer I can last Ran away from you again Fearing your game of pretend But I found you can't outrun time And when you catch up I will fall into your arms Cause after all I'm no longer yours And you're not mine I won't follow you I'll watch Can't love someone you almost forgot I guess the lesson had to just wish it wasn't taught to me Will always dancing in your breeze She smiles with her eyes Hit what lies beneath Taken by your words I took a step back Found myself forgotten, lost in the past Don't know how much longer I can last Patiently waiting Searching and changing Cause you lit the fire and let it all burn down Don't tell me you hate her Treat me the same way Speak the words you spoke when no one was around The ones we chose to hide beneath the ground Of the weeping willow The weeping willow The weeping There's something magical about f catching fish on the line. An old spin cast reel now attached to a high-tech fiberglass rod, new tangle-free line, and a decent cast, and I'm smiling once again. Wait for the bite, soon a dip of the bobber, and off it goes, the line tracing a haphazard trail through the water. Even a small bluegill on my fly rod, a leftover from college days, and the thrill is still there. This lightweight rod, thin and whip-like, sends small shockwaves into my hand when there's a tension. A living creature on the other end now takes precedence and demands my attention. The chance to fish with my grandkids recently let me see this entire experience differently. No matter the slight drizzle, a spider web of line, and the slimy worms in the can, Excitement was contagious. Squeals of joy erupted when something jerked back and reeled in frantically only to have the line go limp. Taking turns in the narrow dock, lines and rods changing direction, sometimes a squawk about where to stand, intense interest quieted the chatter. Pop-pop, are we going to eat these fish? 
At a field station on the mighty Mississippi, swift, wide-moving water seemed such a foreign place. An early morning ichthyology class years ago introduced me to a different world than the terrestrial one I was there to study. We loaded up two shocking boats each day at sunrise to beat the heat. On the water with two electrodes dangling down in front, powered by an onboard gas generator, strange-looking creatures came up fast, flopping on the surface, fish I had never seen, large and grotesque with evil in their eye. They got handed back in large dip nets to the tubs in the back of the boat. We were to identify these creatures back at the field station using a dichotomous key on our text, The Fishes of Illinois. Suckers with names like Red Horse, Quillback, and Buffalo Fish, Long Nose Gar, Paddlefish with flat blade-like snouts, the prehistoric sturgeon, Catfish the size of your arm. They were all laid out later on flat trays, and they almost gave me nightmares. I tried to find characterizations of each fish while my fingertips smelled for days, wrinkled with the preservative formalin solution. A small sampling of the day's catch was destined for the classroom back on campus. I saw them in jars on a shelf during a later term, now color and fierceness gone. Dr. Larry John, ready for the next lecture for more students, said hello, and how are things? Dr. John, some of us in your summer class had always wondered, I began, were you pleased that there was a boat the John boat named after you? I smiled and knew he'd get the joke. Ha! He said it never fails. I wish I had invented it, he said. His field station lectures highlighted biology, habitat, behavior, predator-prey, and like all game species, fish were a crop of the land, he said, a harvestable resource to be managed professionally. As natural resources students, we learned we would work for the resource user. To prove his point, one morning and loading boats, I was sent to a nearby group of fishermen and had been out all night. Eagleman, go over there and talk to those guys. Find out what they're catching and how they're doing. And sure how I'd be greeted and a bit shaken, soon I came back with good news. The class wanted to hear what I learned, and I said a lot. And then I added, oh, and we got invited to their house tonight, the whole class, to eat fish. More recently, free fishing days offered by the DNR gave us a great chance to get a fishing pole in the hands of kids, maybe for the first time and some adults, too. At the Parks Lake Ogle and Straw, we held day-long casting demos, bait-tying and ecology talks. A shelterhouse grill provided a taste of freshly caught bluegill and bass. Local fishing clubs promoted safe handling of equipment, etiquette, and catch-and-release. Bumper stickers we gave out stated, the quality of fishing reflects the quality of living, and we all live downstream. At the day's end, my staff and I claimed we maybe had done some good, maybe. Children, tomorrow's conservation leaders, a staff member mumbled. My good friends Ginny and Chris never fail to invite me to their woodland lake, nestled in a cool, shaded ravine. There I can fish to my heart's content, a honey hole if there ever was one, I love to fish, but I love to catch fish, I mumbled, getting out of the car. They smile like they've never heard that one before. And at the shoreline and mesmerized, I let the mine roll, recalling a massive river, a long-ago class, terms I was assigned, and even some of those bizarre fish. A nibble brings me back. The lake is now still, with only a few wind ripples. Late fall, with dead limbs stretching out and the leaves covering the water, I looked at the surrounding hills, 
It's a forested watershed. What little runoff occurs might perk through a network of rootlets, leaf litter, and debris, and I want to return and float this beauty, maybe this time without a rod. Recently at a local restaurant near water, we dined on their famous dish, batter-fried catfish. So tasty and flavorful, it was a real treat. Thinking it was a local item on the menu, I asked where the fish was from. Honduras, came the reply. World markets serve local businesses. Why would I think any different? The resource user today purchases licenses, attends optional safety seminars, buys equipment and a boat sticker, and if they know it or not, they become the tool of the biologist. They also support a declining industry, the lack of youth entering the sport evident. Fishing industries worldwide are closely scrutinized to prevent overharvest. Impact declining populations and to check pollution. Today's resource manager has more demands, less habitat to managing the dwindling populations, and, of course, warming temperatures. The resource manager continues to work for the resource user, be they hunters, timber owners, or fish people. And I wish them well in this most challenging job. Nature Ramblings is the name of this segment for the Brown County Hour, and I'm Jim Eagleman. So it is my pleasure to interview Sally Ann Murphy, who is here today to talk about the Guardian Ad Litem program that she's a part of. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Well, Sally, first of all, why don't you tell us about this program? What do you guys do? What is this? So it's a court program. Um, I'm, I'm the director, but everybody else, and, I, and so I work for the court, but everybody else is a volunteer. And... Um, they represent the best interests of children in court. And those children can be abused or neglected children when we be working with DCS. Um, these, there's actually a federal law which says that a guardian ad litem, or you may have heard CASA as another yeah, okay. name for it, um, has to be appointed in every case of abuse and neglect. And so we do that. We also do custody cases where quite often we're the only people there, you know, it, Custody cases tend not to be very happy things. Right. Um, and sometimes they ask a guardian ad litem to go in to talk to the kids and find out what's really going on from their point of view. Um, we do senior guardianship where uh, a family may say we want guardianship over a certain person and the judge asks the guardian ad litem to make sure that their motives are entirely blameless. Okay. Right. That's uh, good to know as I'm heading into those years myself. <laughs> right, right. Um, and we also do juvenile delinquency on occasion, um, not as a regular thing, but sometimes the probation officer needs somebody who can get in and out of the t home more easily than they can. So is the idea to develop a relationship with this child and to oversee the legal proceedings in a way that makes sure that they're being benefited the most possible? Yeah, I mean... So let me give you an example. Say, okay. you, um, say little Johnny is spotted by a neighbor running around with a heavy diaper and has been on his own, you know, for some period of time. And so finally the neighbor calls it in on the DCS hotline and okay. it filters its way through to the court. And um, the DCS goes to visit and they find little Johnny's mother is conked out on the couch a lot right. of them. And, and, Evidence says that's been happening a lot. And so DCS removes the child and say, gives it to a grandparent, which happens a lot, which is a whole other yeah. subject for discussion. Um, but anyway, so at that point, the judge has to decide whether this is a fair removal 
or not. Um, if she or he says yes, uh, we think this is justified. They appoint a guardian ad litem and we have to go and talk to everybody. We talk to all the members of the family. We build a relationship with the child. We talk to the neighbor maybe who is originally involved, okay. the school, the doctors, all those sorts of things. And then maybe 30 to 60 days after that happens, we present our first report to the court saying, this is what we're seeing. I mean, the judge calls us her eyes and ears, okay. right? This is what we're seeing. This is how we think the case should go. And we make recommendations for disposition at the same time as DCS makes their recommendations. Okay, so does DCS have a different criteria that, uh, no? Good question, yes. Yeah. Um, DCS, their legal responsibility is to reunite the children with the family, with whoever parent they took them from. Okay. Okay. So they'll do whatever they can to kind of get the situation under because control. Because that's, that's the preference, to get the family reunited. Oh, yes. I think everybody's preference, right? Right. right. Um, our legal responsibility is to represent the best interest of the child. Ah. So some, quite often, those two things are the same, but not always. Right? Okay. So there'll be times when we think, or when we say, uh, our recommendation is that the child stays with the grandparent or the child... You know, that uh, there's a relative who really wants to adopt, and in this case, that would be appropriate. You know, that kind of, right. that sort of thing. Focusing on the best interest of the child. Yes. All Always. right. So let's say um, a person is interested in this program. How do they go about getting in touch with you and um, being a part of this? Is there training? Is there? How oh, does definitely. This work? Oh, yes. Um, there's 30 hours training, initial training. Okay. Um, which I try and fit around people's schedule. So I tend to. I don't say, we have a class at this time and come then. You know, I tend to sort of fit within their schedules and we meet almost individually. Um, they should go to our website, www.browncountygal.org. Um, they'll find all kinds of background information and an application form and a contact form where they can reach out to me. Um, and we can I'll take them out for coffee and have a longer conversation. Basically. So do these classes take place in a uh, classroom-type setting? or I have a full curriculum. Actually, usually they take place in room A of the library. Okay. That's my favorite room. Okay. Good, good room. I've been there myself. <laughs> uh, excellent. So after 30 hours, are, is there like a probationary period where you are... Um, now you're this new uh, you're guardian, sworn in and you're an sworn in, the and, and yeah. there's, is there someone looking over your shoulder to yes. see how, how you're doing? Yes. Um, the first case you get, you will twin with either myself or another very experienced guardian ad litem. Okay. And, and essentially, you'll kind of intern, right, and follow. And then we switch, um, and you get your first case, and I'll, either I or whoever your mentor was will keep an eye on you. Okay. to make sure that you're okay. All right. So after a couple of times out and you've proven yourself, then you're part of the program and mm -hmm. you're, uh, you're out there helping children, which, yes. which sounds ideal to me. Yes. Um, I have to say, I mean, it, it strikes me that this is a remarkably sane uh, government program. And uh, uh, forgive the skepticism, but I'm not used to that. So <laughs> I... I am pleased that this is what's going on for the kids. And it's been, you know, in Brown County since 1990. 1990, yes, wow. Yes, no, it's, it's well established. I mean, it's been here for a long time. Do you have any idea how many children you've served in that time? Hundreds. Hundreds. Um, 
I can't remember the last time I in did our it. tiny little county. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I sad. do. I we on average do about seventy-five to eighty children a year. Okay. Yes. How and then there are all kinds of other like the ancillary things I told you about. Well, yeah. uh, how long have you been involved with this? April two thousand and nine. <laughs> not, not that that date is seared in your memory <laughs> right. or anything. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, Sally, would you uh, please repeat your website so that those who are interested can follow through? I would love to. It's browncountygal.org. Excellent. Thank you so much for doing this work and for coming in and sharing this information. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. In 1984, I was offered a job driving a school bus. When I considered the position, I understood that I would earn a little extra money be home when my kids were home, and that I would have time during the day to work on my jewelry business. When I was hired, I had to attend school bus school and obtain a commercial driver's license with a school bus endorsement. School bus school took place in the summer, and for two weeks I listened to lectures and watched movies about school bus laws and safety procedures. When I graduated, I had to complete a probationary program where I drove with a certified bus driver for a period of time, and then I was on my own. Less than a year later, the owner of my bus sold it to me, and I obtained an official school bus contract from the Brown County School Corporation. During that time, I drove Bus 16 that hauled kids from K-12 through to Helmsburg Elementary School. The kids I drove lived on Plum Creek, Lanham Ridge, Owl Creek, State Road 45, and Helmsburg Road. I would pick them up in the morning and take them to Helmsburg Elementary, where the younger kids attended school. From there, the middle school and high school kids met other buses that took them on to Nashville. In the afternoon, I met the older kids when their buses arrived back at Helmsburg, loaded the little kids from the grade school, and took them all home. A 66-passenger school bus is nothing but a large, flatbed truck with a school bus bolted to the top of it. As the owner, I was responsible for the maintenance and the fuel costs, which really cut into my income. Mostly, I was hauling hippie kids. In a funny way of things, as a back-to-the-lander myself, I was ideally qualified for the position. The kids were great, but I had a couple of parents that I had to deal with. One lady in particular called frequently to let me know that her daughter was an only child and therefore I should be extra protective of her because this child was all she had. I assured her that I was being extra protective of all the kids I was responsible for. Occasionally a parent would ask why the kids don't wear seat belts and I would patiently explain that studies have shown that kids were safer without them. The older buses had a steel bar going across the back of the seats for the kids to hang on to. When a sudden stop would occur, many kids got bloody or broken noses as they were pitched forward. In response, they redesigned the seats to have a high back plastic padding so that a sudden stop would cause the entire body of the student to slide forward, and that is much safer than the impact from a seat belt across the lap of a small child. The other consideration is a type of accident called roll and burn. 
This type of accident could result with 66 kids hanging upside down from their seatbelts and only seconds to free them and get them off the bus. Usually, this explanation satisfied the concerned parent. Kids tend to be rowdy on Friday afternoons, and one of the older drivers taught me what to do when they would get out of hand. First, I would warn them. Then, I would slowly pull the bus over to the side of the road, turn the engine off, turn the radio to a country music station that they all hated, put my feet up on the dash, and wait for the kids to calm down. At first, the kids would continue to act up. But eventually, the older kids figured it out and began shouting to the other kids to calm down and shut up. When the entire bus full of kids were back in their seats behaving themselves, I'd ask everyone if they wanted to go home. And when they said a resounding yes, I'd fire up the engine, change the radio back to rock and roll, and take everyone home. This worked every time. For individual bad behavior... I would make the offending kid write a hundred sentences. Two of them come to mind. I promise I will not, under any circumstances, be mean to the little kids. Or, from henceforth I pledge that I will not recklessly raise my voice and call the other children names. While this was not the most lucrative employment I've ever had, in many ways it was the most satisfying. Many of those kids became lifelong friends, And as the years have passed by, several of them are now parents and grandparents. And now it's their children who are riding the bus. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. All right. And this song is called The Gold. It's originally by Manchester Orchestra, but Phoebe Bridges did a version of it that I listened to. And now I'm going to do a cover of.
Thanks for tuning in to episode 138 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on your favorite streaming services. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Lucy Schultz, Sarah Lytle, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County. Oh